It's really awesome that you're joining me, Adam, for this chat. Basically, you had a viral tweet thread that I think you you knew that this is going to be some vaguely popular topic and you couched it that way. But it was about interviewing. And I think it was probably based on your recent experiences switching. So you, you were recently at Riot Games and you interviewed at AWS, Spotify, Citadel, and eventually landed at Spotify. And you just had some thoughts that you needed to unload. So just what was the context around your interviewing thread? Like, why did you feel the need to, to drop some knowledge? Because tech interviews are really interesting and unexpected. I think some people that are new to the industry or even just new to interviewing at big companies, they might, a lot of the processes might catch them by surprise. And I really thought that some of the, just going through all those interview loops, there's a lot of knowledge there that I think that I thought a lot of people might like to pick up on and learn how some of these big tech companies interview. For me, I started out as a .NET developer a long time ago, working for just small corporations out in Oklahoma. And their interviews are just like, it's just an hour long. And then do you know how to code? And then they'll hire you. And so going from that to like a Riot Games or an AWS interview loop, it was really shocking to me. And it's, and it's really interesting. It's one of those things, the more interviews you go through, the better you get at it. So like interviewing itself is a skill, which maybe itself is a poor reflection on how these tech interviews go, but that's a meta thing that we can talk about later, maybe. For sure. I, I, you just reminded me that we can also exchange notes about AWS because I think you had some commentary there as well. And obviously I've been through the AWS interview. So let's, let's dig right into it. I'm actually going to share my screen because I feel like this is the reason I do video because it's good to have the same thing on screen. So we know what we're both talking about, especially if it comes from a viral tweet thread. So the first thing we're going to talk about is comfort encoding on the fly. What made you state it like that, that way? There are a lot of ways in which people do tech interviews and whiteboarding. That, so that one made some people angry and that was never my intent. So it was very poor wording on my part. It's definitely not the number one tech skill to have. It's the number one skill to have when you're sitting in the middle of a coding interview, full stop. I am not saying that necessarily this is a great way to interview and I'm not responsible for the structure of these interviews at these companies. But if you find yourself interviewing at a place like AWS or Citadel or Spotify, you are probably going to be expected to code just some small little toy problem in front of some people. And it is crucially important that you be comfortable doing that and that you learn to think out loud and just, just dump whatever you're thinking out loud and say it out loud so the interviewer can hear what you're working on. And so there's a number of benefits to that. They can hear your thought process and more pragmatically, if you get stuck or if you start doing the wrong thing, like you misunderstood the problem, if you're saying what you're doing and why, they can correct you really quickly and say, if you reread the requirements, you actually don't need to do this or that. When I interviewed at Riot, they asked me to code up a promise polyfill on the fly. And then again, just talking through it, I said, all right, now my then method is going to have to create a new promise on the fly because that's how it works. And he interrupted me. He said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to maintain the A plus spec. Just create it good enough so that it works the same. You don't have to chain, you don't have to make it immutable and create new promises. And if you get, and the most important thing is if you get stuck, just say that you're stuck and say why you're stuck. It's totally expected. And the interviewer is there to help you. It's not an adversarial process, or at least it shouldn't be. You should be completely comfortable saying that you're stuck and why you're stuck. And the interviewer is going to absolutely be right there to help you out and clarify some things and, and, and nudge you forward. No one's expected to get through these problems from start to finish without any help at all. Yeah, I would say I, I, I definitely view it. I think you, you may have seen this in my book or people who listen to or watch this 
might find this in my advice as well that if you teach while you write and you can practice this a lot by like doing meetup talks or like just coding tutorials on YouTube or just pair programming if you learn how to connect your brain to your mouth and that no filter in between <laughs> it's not that hard i think a basic thing is like narrate what you're doing right now right this second like what you and then once you get really comfortable with that you start doing ahead of time narration say we're going to do that and then or you you start writing pseudocode and you're saying, okay, this is the part where we're going to do X and we're not, I'm not going to do it yet because I haven't got there yet. But you start talking ahead of yourself as you type or as you code. And that's a really, that's a really good uh, skill to, 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 to develop. And then you also talk, you can also talk about the things that you're not doing. Like you could say things like, I could be doing a performance optimization. Like I, I know this is intent, this is bad, but this is a tech interview and we're not going for the best code right now. There's, there's performance optimizations here to be made that I'm not doing just for the sake of time. And people, everyone gets that. They're, you're actually just like acknowledging that you could do better. You're just not choosing to. And that's actually a, a really meta level skill to, to improve on, on that. That's really well said. And a few of those points are really key. Criticize your own code. Be like, hey, this is just a crappy N squared, whatever. I'm just doing it for now just to get something working. And then we can come back and optimize it later. Like the more you can show the interviewer that you understand the problem domain, the language, that you just know your stuff, the, the better. Yeah. Just for like factually, were you asked to do a, a live coding interview in all the all those companies that that you worked with? Were there, were yes. there any ones that did not do that? Nope. No. Okay. Yeah. I, it's funny because my current company, company Temporal, we have that, and it's a source of debate within the company as well. Like obviously, it biases towards people who can think and talk, uh, think and sorry, talk and code. And a lot of people don't do that. They, they freeze up. They they think better. They code better when they're quiet. So arguably, we should have other forms of interviewing, but just factually in the industry this is the way people code. And I, I think, look, like I'm not like super negative on it. I, I understand that not everyone does well on it, but at the same time, like I'm so positive on pair programming and so positive on like, it's not that hard to narrate what you're doing that I feel like everyone can get a little, can get to some function, some form of like function capability. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You can get something, you're not, you may not be amazing, but you like, you could actually probably get somewhere decent just by trying. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, I honestly feel bad, like for the folks that's hard for, it. it's really crappy. That's such an important skill for interviews when some people just inherently are bad at it. I'll, I'll give a shout out to a company called Honeycomb. I don't know anything about them, but one of their people uh, replied to my tweets and they said, and they just mentioned that Honeycomb is a company that doesn't do what we've just been describing. Uh, their interview is a time boxed take home coding exercise. You get an hour and a half coded just on your own. They have someone standing by on email to answer questions. And then they schedule um, a follow-up after that, where they just walk through the code and you talk about why you made the choices you did where you talk about why you made the design choices you did and so on. Oh yeah, there she is. Show wow. Me. You are disturbingly good at Twitter search. This is now you see, incredible. you see how I do it. People always that's, ask me, how do you drag up all tweets? But there we go. Yep. Oh yeah. Time box, take home exercises. Oh, I should mention that Netlify doesn't. So Netlify is an example where it's a take home. We set you up with a Slack and then you just chat with in, in the Slack. And for me, it was, they assigned me to make a static site generator from scratch and they, and I had the weekend to do it. And I just worked through the whole weekend. So that obviously that's a self-imposed thing. They didn't really give me like guidance on number of hours. People say generally three to four hours to take home. I probably spent about 30, but it showed. And, and I think the over-communication on Slack was definitely helpful. I like this. Uh, another one that I've asked before is, okay, some amount of take home and then during the live interview, modify the code in some way. So I think it's, 
modify code and see if there's anyone. I, I don't know if I can find it right right away. Anyway, come to think of it, I interviewed at oh, this is going back a while. Oh God, the the JavaScript consultancy that Ken Wheeler used to work at. Formidable. And Aaron Kylie Stewart used to work at Formidable. Formidable. They theirs was a take home um, coding exercise as well. So it, the things that we were talking about, it's not universal. It's pretty common, but some companies do things a little differently. So if you're terrified of the live coding, you're not doomed. Some companies do it differently. For anyone listening or watching, I actually had an example of think something's going something going wrong and me dealing with it. So I had this talk. I think I think you saw it. And round about this part, I had a bug where where at where I, like, I was like setting, I was trying to increment a count and I didn't set counts to count plus one. And this is me running through this code live with thousands of people watching um, and just saying what was going wrong, what I expected and involving the audience in my thought process. So if you want to get better at something like this, I guess this is my own personal <laughs> recorded example of uh, me, me debugging this. And obviously someone, and actually, so someone in the audience caught it and helped me correct, correct it at the end with the plus one. It's so dumb, but like when you're performing, you don't really, you don't, you might not miss it because you're kind of stressed out. Yeah. Just narrate what you're thinking. Okay, cool. Let's move on to think out loud. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is an interesting one. So you're, you're basically advocating. So this says, if you're asked about arrow functions, don't just say they're shorter syntax sugar. Mention lexical this, lexical arguments, lack of a prototype and construct slot. Show them you're someone who knows their shit. So I don't know any of these. <laughs> So like, how much are you, are you advocating for jargon here? No, I'm certain the first one, you probably know the second one. The third one's pretty esoteric. So this is not for the coding, live coding. So these interviews take a lot of different turns. And when you're not live coding, some of the interviews, they'll just like quiz you and just ask you, not quiz, I, I hate that. They'll just ask you about some areas in your problem domain. Yeah. Um, so they might ask you about Flexbox. They might ask you about arrow functions. They might just pick an area of web development and just ask you about it. And I'm saying dive deep into the details. So with arrow functions, hopefully we know that it's just the, this value is the same as it is outside of the arrow function. Which is one of the um, reasons that granted. created. Yeah. Yeah. And our arguments as well. Arrow functions don't have their own arguments value and inherits it from the lexical scope. That's what those first two mean. You can't call an arrow function with new, like you can with an old school function. That's what that third thing means. It has no prototype and, and no construct slot. So when you call a function with new, it invokes the construct slot. Arrow functions don't have that. So if you're a nerd like me who just reads a lot of JavaScript esoteric stuff, show it off. Show them as much as show them you're someone yeah. that dives deep and you have a deep uh, understanding of your problem of your of the domain in which you work in tech. Yeah, I think for me the meta lesson is not really about arrow functions. It's more about being specific, right? I think we sometimes when we talk in interviews, oh sorry, when we talk casually, we're allowed to be vague and rely on the context of the other person knowing what we think they know or, or try not to look dumb. <laughs> I think in an interview setting, you're proving your your actual knowledge of the specific term terminology. If you can show it off, you can show it off. I mean, obviously, if you don't have it, then it's not the end of the world, but it's a nice to have for sure. Like yeah. so similar, similar for Flexbox. Yeah. And I was asked about Flexbox. These were real questions I was asked. So if you're a JavaScript developer who hates CSS and you avoid it, it you got to outgrow that. They're going to expect you to know CSS stuff. So learn the ins and outs of Flexbox, Grid, et cetera. How does, so I've conducted a, quite a few front-end interviews. I always don't know how to ask the CSS question because it always boils down to some form of, do you know CSS? Or tell me about the box model. 
it's just so lame. I don't even want to ask it. Like, how, how? What's a good way to ask about Flexbox? Just what you said. Tell me about Flexbox, and then just see where they go. Don't ask trivia. Don't be like, "Hey, what does Justify Content do?" That's something you can look up. Just ask them to tell you about Flexbox. See if they know that it's one-dimensional with their cross-axis, main-axis. See if they bring up Grid and how Grid differs from Flexbox. The the things that Flexbox were designed for, the things that Grid were designed for, because they they go hand in hand. So just, I prefer open-ended questions and let the person answering them pick their own path. Yeah. Do you find that, do people try to trip you up? Because I always wonder when I interview, if I should push people to the limits of their knowledge, find out where they're not comfortable or where they're just plain wrong, or should it be just like a general knowledge check? I don't know if that's a, that makes sense as a question. So I'll first say the interviews were the latter and at none of the four companies, was it increasingly difficult challenges yeah. to push you to your limit? That would be an interesting exercise though. I'm sure there'd be a lot of opinions on Twitter on whether that's a good idea or not. But yeah. For, for me, the interviews I went through, they were, they seemed to be predetermined and there was a, a script that the interviewers were following and we just walked through that script. I think for, I reflect on the two times I interviewed at Google, the algorithms interview basically had a guy who was like very good at them. And the moment, you know, solves one question, he could, he had another one ready to go that just pushed you a little bit more. And it was just to see where you stopped out. I don't think, I don't think I was ever meant to answer them all perfectly, but it's just, it's a nice way to really test your depth. I don't see it a lot. Yeah, for sure. It was only at Google that I've been challenged like that. And I don't think I did that well. Okay, JavaScript frameworks. This is interesting. So no one asked you about frameworks? No, I got some pushback on this though. They It can come up depending on the job you're inter interviewing for. And there's plenty of jobs that will require deep React knowledge or Angular. For me though, for the jobs I interviewed at Riot, Spotify, again, Citadel and uh, AWS, nobody was interested in quizzing me on the ins and outs of how React uh, works. I will clarify, I did get one quick question about that when I interviewed her. I didn't, I wasn't lying on that tweet. It, that was going back a few years. So I, I just, for the most part, there were no questions about frameworks. There, there was one small one at Riot that I subsequently remembered. Didn't you use a, use a lot of Ember at Riot? Uh, yeah, there is a lot of Ember at Riot. They definitely don't ask about that. They don't expect anyone to know Ember when you're, when they're interviewing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It's one of those things where I think people obsess more when they're learning the, the thing than, than it's actually asked for. I, I don't know. It's one of those weird things. So this is another one of those touchy topics on, on tech Twitter. Should you require, should you encourage knowledge of frameworks to hire someone for a job? Ideally, this, the answer is no. Realistically, given if my tech stack is in React and I have nine applicants who all know React and one doesn't, as much as they know JavaScript and could pick up on the job, the other people are just going to have way more experience in React. I don't know it, how to get past that. Admittedly, the main reason I brought that up, like I said a moment ago, I was asked about CSS and I think we'll get to TypeScript in a minute. It's a lot more fun to go jumping on new JavaScript frameworks. We all love doing that. So the point that I was getting at here is, hey, if you're a deep JavaScript enthusiast, instead of picking up that fourth framework, learning CSS kind of decently is going to be a, a much better use of your time as, as far as succeeding in these interviews go. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always say like, make sure you cover your bases. Like I think interviews are a de-risking process, like because they don't know you from Adam, uh, they, well, you are Adam, but it's a de-risking process in the sense that like they, they need to check that you cover your bases and you, you don't have some egregious flaw. Then the second thing to prove is to impress them on something actually cool uh, that you've done, but the cover your bases priority is higher. It's a de-risking process, which is partially why I 
try to encourage this part of the learning public, which is have view have searchable and discoverable artifacts of your competence or your knowledge, whether it's on your blog or your GitHub or talks or whatever. That way, when people search you up, because they will, they'll just see that you know your shit. And, and then you can just skip that question. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So CSS frameworks. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, just know your base knowledge. I think that's actually pretty important. I just, you know what? So I think the reason the industry, and especially for bootcamps, I have a personal reflection on this because I went through a bootcamp and we spent, it was a 90 plus day bootcamp. We spent probably one day on CSS, which is terrible. And I think it's representative of, of the bootcamp industry. And, and that's the representative mm-hmm. of a lot of junior talent coming out. So, yeah, I mean, I, what I'm saying is like, I don't think it's the bootcamp's fault. There is, they're actually responding to the way that employers interview. And in my interviewing so far for front-end positions at my company, we haven't asked a lot of CSS questions. And I, I was reflecting on that. <laughs> I don't know how to do yeah, it. People are furious about at boot camps for not stressing CSS more, but boot camps are doing exactly their, their job. Their mission <laughs> is very clear, and that is to prepare people for a career in tech. And nobody is stressing CSS in the interviews. And so boot camps aren't going to stress them. If yeah. people want boot camps to stress them, they need to get companies to stress them in the interviews. And it's that simple. Yeah. Oh, and they were right to do so because when I interviewed post bootcamp, I, I didn't get m- uh, much CSS questions. I, I basically the hardest, the extent of the CSSing was just like, can you add some border radius and center stuff in a div? Which is like, okay, I can do that. Cool. All right, TypeScript. This is uh, this is the favorite one. So I'm gonna read this out because it's worth reading. One thing that surprised me, TypeScript was stressed a lot more than I was expecting. Getting some of the typings exactly right was one thing I had a few hiccups on. That's interesting here and there. That's why I've been reading every TS book I can find lately. So if you dislike TypeScript and have been avoiding it, sorry, bad news, you need to learn it. Your, pro- your interviewer probably won't be interested in whatever reasons you might have for disliking or hating it, just know it. I like the way that you phrase it. It's not about what, what you think about TypeScript. It's just realistically, what are people interviewing for? Exactly, yeah. What, what, so everyone was, everyone's on TypeScript, basically, that you, that you interviewed at? To largely different extents, Citadel went pretty hard on the TypeScript. AWS was the least so, and then Spotify was somewhere in between. Yeah, I'd say at least the, the team that I worked on in AWS, they were suspicious of the benefits of TypeScript. And this came from people who are, the, the people who are more of the like tests are, if you write good enough tests, that's good enough crowd. And yeah, I mean, so what do people, how do people interview about TypeScript? Like, do they tell you to just type an existing function or do you just, they just do your assignment in TypeScript? It was closer to the former. Hey, write me, here's a little bit of JavaScript, add typings to it, write this in TypeScript, write that in TypeScript. Now narrow it down and make it a little tighter in this way, in that way. And yeah, I had a, I had a few hiccups there. TypeScript is some of the type narrowing using the in syntax to narrow a type down. So if you want to tell like a discriminated union, but instead of using the type field, you can just look for a specific property. Say if this property is in that object, then I can narrow it down to that type. Just some of the tricks that a TypeScript person would know that somebody who doesn't use TypeScript a lot would be a little rusty on. Yeah, I, I think there's a specific name for that. I don't really know. So one of the ways in which to get really good at this is just to keep a cheat sheet of like that and then just go like, okay, where is the, in? there we go. So I don't there remember, I don't remember any of this, but, but this, yeah, this is, is a type guard. Type guard. I was just about to, yeah. Yeah, there we go. 
I clearly don't have this in my head, but I know exactly the, the topic that you're thinking about. I just don't necessarily remember the name of it. So if I knew my, if I knew my shit, I would, I would probably、uh, know the name. But all right, people, are, people are specifically hire for TypeScript. You got some pushback on this? Is it again like people should not require TypeScript in interviews? No, I don't have a problem with it. TypeScript is used pretty much everywhere, so it makes sense that companies are going to interview for it. I would hate to see a JavaScript expert get rejected for lack of TypeScript expertise if he if he or she is otherwise a great candidate. So hopefully it's not required too strictly. I I, I don't know either way. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, this one.、Uh, this is prime Amazon zone. Amazon. Not just Amazon. Okay, let's talk about that. So I'm gonna read this out a little bit. So the other half of tech interviews is the dreaded "tell me about a time when" questions. By the way, I think that this is increases the more senior you get, because if you're more junior, you don't have a time when. But as a senior, they're hiring you for your the mistakes that you've made in the past. Scar your career. So you so you go on to say, scar your career and think of every interesting slash hard slash fun thing you've done to talk about. Questions will be things like, "Tell me about a time when you had a difficult task, time constraint, had to convince management of something, had to deal with interpersonal conflicts." Etc. Be articulate, show growth, and how you handled it. Discuss lessons learned. So yeah, this is very much a core of the Amazon interview. It's called the leadership principles. There are like fourteen of them, and then you basically when I did it, the recruiter had to told me just to prepare a story for each and each of those leadership principles and try not to repeat myself, which is very difficult. What's your reflection on tell me about a time when questions? So let me stress, it's not just Amazon. Riot goes really hard on those as well. Spotify was the best on that, by which I mean they had the fewest, and they were the they leaned on them the least. And Citadel had a few. I really dislike the structure of them. I understand that you want to interview for leadership principles, but when you frame the question specifically in terms of tell me a time about a time when, you're limited to like actual things that have happened to you. And so whatever leadership principle number six is. On the Amazon list, I have no idea what it is. You may not have a story that happened in your life that relates to it, and so it's really hard. It it becomes a skill in and of itself, like coming up with these stories the right way. And I just feel like, right, because we don't do these with the tech skills, right? We don't say, "Tell me about a time when you had to do this weird thing with CSS." We just ask you about CSS. And I know it's easier to ask about CSS or JavaScript than leadership principles, but I don't think. It being harder should dissuade companies from just asking about these leadership principles more directly. Like, how would you handle an interpersonal conflict? How would you deal with such and such hypothetical situation? Just like we do with coding, we say, "All right, here's your hypothetical use case. Now code it." Yeah. I don't see why we wouldn't be able to say, "Here's a hypothetical interpersonal conflict at work. How would you handle it?" Yeah. What's What's a way in which you like? Show growth because I feel like that's what they're looking for, right? Like that you maybe didn't know something in the past, and now you've learned it through hard experience. Yeah. So be don't be afraid to say that you were wrong or that you handled something poorly. Like just own it up front and say how you wish you had handled it better. Show how you learned from it. Show how you applied that learning in the future and how you applied those lessons. Again, it's hard. Like you may or may not have faced some of these issues or problems or circumstances in your career. We all have had different career paths, and it's going to be hard to try and dig up some stories from your past. Try and paint the picture of who you are today. So just be ready for that. Like people criticized me on the whole, be comfortable coding on the fly. Like these questions were incredibly hard for me. Like 
there's a lot of different parts to these interview loops and different people are going to struggle with different parts of them. And this was the hard part for me. I'd say this was the hard part for me either. It's, it's the one part of the entire interview process where I was like, I may not have gotten the job. And yeah, so it's always the non-technical parts, which are more important than the technical. And in, in my experience, just because like, that's what they're hiring you for, your judgment and your uh, experience and not just your ability to turn on lines of code. I, I would say, oh, it's worth saying that Amazon explicitly lets you skip. So if you're like, I just don't have a good story for that, you're just allowed to say it. And you can use the skip card uh, once or twice. I think I used it twice, maybe. <laughs> so so that, was, that was pretty good. Yeah, that could story. have been useful. Your recruiter should have told you that. They, like, like, my recruiter sent, you, sent me like a package and like prepped me, I think, pretty well for the interview. So we'll, we'll reflect on, on Amazon a little bit later. But these are really important. I do like these questions. I think another way to get really good at them is to reflect more. I think a lot of us, when we go through work, we're just like, okay, we had a situation, dealt with the situation, moved on, didn't really reflect or write it down. And like a year or two years after, you're not really going to remember it. You're just going to like, vague, you're really going to struggle not just to, you might remember the vague context, but then specific numbers of like what improves or like what the result was, the, the, the sequence of events you might get wrong. It's actually nice to have a write-up. I encourage people. So Julia Evans has this, has this concept of a brag document where you should write up your accomplishments uh, and have it ready at all times to help your manager advocate for you. I have this idea of a brag Slack channel where when anything, any milestone that happens that's positive, even negative, but you know, just mostly positive. You just have to put it in your Slack channel. And so you have like a chronological order of like what happens. And at any point in time, you can just go back and review your history. I think that's a pretty good microblogging format. Definitely. But for your brag document, like don't just have it be brags, have it also be like problems that you dealt with and yeah. difficulties that you uh, surmounted or that you didn't, or that you struggled with all, all that stuff. I think, I think one of the problems I had with this, especially this question was, it's, a, it's not a good idea to speak badly of your former employers. Everyone, I think, I think most people know this, but sometimes the situation just didn't end well. And that's the reason you left the company. And uh, I think for me, I didn't have a perfect way of handling it. I just was pretty upfront of like, yeah, we disagreed on that and they won because they were in charge and that's what it is. I think people understand that and, and accept it, but I wish I had a better way of, of framing it. It's funny, like, absolutely don't ever speak. You, I mean, just in general, don't speak ill of people you've worked with, companies, whatever. One of the interviews, the guy was like, all right, tell me about the favorite person you have to work with. And so I was like, oh, cool, it's so-and-so. And I just went on and on. It's like, okay, now tell me about the least favorite person you have to work with. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, it's a trap. And then I had to like pause and freeze and just really go over my words very carefully. And I was like, oh my God, what a question. Uh, I'll bet I'd love to see all the answers that he's gotten to that question. That's. Did you consider rejecting the question? Is like, I don't feel comfortable answering the question. Like, I think that's a reasonable response. No, I didn't think that would go over well. I just was very yeah. diplomatic. I talked about why, what the difficulties were. I certainly didn't name any names. I talked about the challenges working with that person, how I face them and how I resolve them and move forward. Yeah, actually, that's that actually is helpful, especially when you're interviewing someone who might be making hiring decisions. I would love to know the kind of people that they have basically fired. It's, it's one of those things where it's a very uncomfortable topic, but uh, a lot of people, I think, shy away from firing. And a lot of times you, 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 people fire too slowly. And when they have a negative impact on the team or culture, they really should be moving faster. 
All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, okay. Yeah, AWS has a lot. Riot has a lot of them. Okay, some more tips. You're you're looking for really specific shit. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. On the AWS front, everyone is basically just looking for your story, and you you do need this to get a certain quorum of yeses, basically. And yeah, I don't have any more insight apart from that. But I'm happy to talk about AWS with anyone else that's interested in in prepping for for AWS interviews. Because I mean, I think it's still a great company to work at. It's just that I definitely think the interview process is a, a, a bit ritualized. I definitely felt like really is performative rather than like getting to know each other. <laughs> Did um, I hear you right before? You're at Temporal now. Yeah, I am at Temporal now. Oh, I didn't know you, you left AWS. So it's a company named after the new JavaScript date format. That's interesting. <laughs> it's a coincidence. They they don't come sure. from JavaScript world, so they come from Go and Java. And、uh, yeah, it's a coincidence in naming. They actually asked me if they we could like petition to rename the new API, but I I don't think. It's a, it just hit stage three in TC thirty nine. I don't think we're in, we're renaming it anytime soon. Not for a random company. No, but yeah, I, I haven't announced it because I'm not in a public facing role anymore. I'm not a developer advocate. There's no real benefit to me announcing it because the people who follow me are mostly JavaScript people, and we don't have a JavaScript SDK yet. And I don't. Yeah, I I, I want to spend time getting smart at the thing and then make a strong case for why people should use it. But so far, it doesn't need publicity from me. It's doing very well on its own. So that's my thinking.、Uh, yeah, I'm trying to move past whole like in the past, people were interested in hiring me for, for like being able able to to speak well on on JavaScript or React or whatever, and and put their company alongside those in demand technologies. But I'm trying to move away from that because then that frees me up to do a lot more other things. Awesome. Happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so yeah, yeah, product ownership. I find it weird that people expect product ownership out of engineers because obviously that's a PM type of thing. Did, did any other company ask ask you about product ownership questions? Well, as far as I can tell, Amazon didn't ask me about it. The, the questions are so disconnected from what they're looking for, and that's why I said it's such a, an important skill to have in and of itself. Like trying to deduce what they're looking for in the questions and then reverse engineering. Your answer to fit that—it's a hard skill to to have, at least for the Amazon questions. So yeah, I don't I don't remember getting questions about that from anyone, even though it was a criterion for AWS. Sometimes, and I think this is important for people. When people give you feedback, it may not be the real feedback. They may just be searching for a random excuse to give you because they have to give you something. So you may never know, but whatever. But、yeah. You don't need them. Okay, but to go on to the the positive one, Spotify was the best interview experience by far. Very well organized, clear questions, great interviewers, ideal experience. Actually, how many rounds did they do? Four hours total. Well, not counting the prelims. So there's a prelim tech where they just slam me with what's this, just to see if I know stuff. And then once you get into the real interview loop, what Amazon would call the interview loop, it was four hours, just like AWS was. That's very fast. Actually, my interview loop with Amazon, my onsite, because I, I was actually interviewing them before COVID, it was a whole day. It was morning till night, like sorry, morning till like nine to five with a lunch break. Wow. Yeah, I feel like four hours is very fast. How many interviews were there from nine to five with lunch? I want to say like eight. There were a lot. I, I was like, I was out of. Like my mouth, I was tired of speaking by the end of the day. Yeah, because you meet, you don't just meet like the random interview. So, I think in big co's, people who are listening may not have interview with a big co. In a big co, they actually assign engineers from a totally different department or or division just to interview you on technical topics, and that you will never work with. But then 
So, so that was like the first half of the day. And then the second half was with like the, your, your reporting line, like your manager, your manager's manager and the, the PMs that you'll be working with and so on. And yeah, I mean, that, that took up the whole day. Interesting. Because when I did Riot, that was pre-COVID and it was four hours. It was a whole day, but you showed up, you did your introductions, you had a big, you met your whole panel and you introduced yourself. That took a little bit of time. And then you had two hour long interview sessions in the morning. Then you had lunch on campus. And then after lunch, you had two more hour-long interview sessions, and then they gave you a tour of the campus while your interview panel discussed you. And if you were a good candidate who was potentially a hire, then you came back for like a surprise interview at the end with a high-ranking manager. I interviewed with the, that's called the sponsor interview, and that was with the director of engineering for League of Legends. So I, I came back after my tour exhausted, and then boom, here's another set of questions from him. But you knew it was probably a, a good news if you were invited back, right? Yeah. And I had a friend that I met up with after my interview panel. And he said, yeah, if you get to the sponsor interview, like he said something like 75% of people don't get to the sponsor interview. So you're doing good if you got to him. Yeah. It's mostly when you're, you're meeting the, like, like for me, when I met the general manager, I knew I got it really uh, probably like, yeah, but okay. So anyway, four hours is, is still impressively fast. I think we interview for longer than that at Temporal. And so that, that tells me that we should tighten, tighten it up, but it's also like a, such a short amount of time to get any knowledge of anyone i just don't know how i feel i don't know how comfortable i feel with that i don't even feel like i i, I get enough i take the interview loop for one out of the however many hours that we put on people but i don't even like that i, I like long conversations with, with people to get to know them anyway what else what, let's call it another thing that spotify does well that that you don't see elsewhere like what's what's another there's nothing that i don't see elsewhere it's just it's the same kind of things that everyone does. They, it was just really well organized. The prob, the coding exercises were very clear. I thought they were well designed to show a candidate's skills. The web uh, portion, it was just a, hey, build this small thing. I don't want to give too many details about what it is and give away their interviews, interview questions, but here's a small thing. Just build it from scratch, vanilla JavaScript, HTML. That, that was fun to just put together. Similar one for the regular programming. Hey, let's build this small JavaScript class that does this. And then we just iterated on it and kept adding features and features and features. And then there was the system design interview. Of course, I didn't talk about that much in my tweet thread, but every company has their system design thing where they just want to make sure you know the big picture of how big systems work. If you understand where, where the caching layer is normally going to sit, if you understand what an API server and a web server are and where they sit, relative to the consumer, which pieces talk to the database. And just if you're comfortable drawing that all out, I had that at Riot. We built a tic-tac-toe program, a distributed tic-tac-toe program. The same, so sometimes you'll be asked to design Uber. Sometimes you'll be asked to design like the Spotify music player. It, they're all the same. That's cool. I've never had a system design interview. Really? Never, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a... What were you doing all day on Amazon campus? They didn't make time for one system design interview? No, because I was was interviewing for a DevRel job, right? So it was was like present something that you know really well to to a panel of people and then have a few questions because you're potentially a representative of the company. So uh, you have to be answered. They throw like stupid questions at you and you have to answer them or like really off topic and you have to, they they just kind of see how you handle things. Sounds fun, actually. It is. It's pretty, we actually adopted it here at my new company. But yeah, I mean, I always wonder if like front-end developers ever do system design interviews because like 
it's more of a back-end question, don't you think? Kind of. I've never interviewed for just a front-end uh, role, so I, I can't say either way. Yeah. Are you full stack right now? My title is senior web engineer. I told my boss I'm happy to do as much back-end work as he has for me. I think it's going to be mostly front-end stuff, though. Yeah, I mean, which is why they interview you on like uh, JS and CSS stuff. Cool. All right. So yeah, that was a really good thread on interviewing. Obviously, a lot of opinions and, and people have a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah, what were your thoughts on, on just like tweeting about interviewing in general? Because I, I noticed that you had a tweet later on that says like, note to self, don't tweet about interviewing. Things to not tweet about dot push and then interviewing. Why? It's a sensitive topic. So these interviews are basically the gateway to getting into these lucrative tech careers. Mm. And they require a specific set of skills. And like we discussed before, some people struggle with them. And so there's going to be some raw feelings about the structure of these interviews. And so if you word things imperfectly, then that's, it's going to be very easy to be misconstrued in the worst possible way. Yeah. So like that one tweet of mine, the number one tech skill you can have, like, it's not the number one tech skill you can have. In fact, it's not a tech skill you ever need when you're not interviewing. Yeah. And so people who don't have that tech skill, they are going to maybe read that tweet either in isolation or even in context and just get angry about it, about, the fact that's required of our interviews and they'll take it out on you because you're the one that tweeted about it in a very off the cuff way. Yeah. I think, you know, it's one of those things where like, it's perfectly normal to say, to exaggerate, to have hyperbole, to not really think about it. We, like if you're in like a bar and we're just catching up. Yeah. You, you totally say like number one tech skill to have because you didn't really rank and sort the total possible skills, the possible universal skills and like systematically arrive at number one. You're just like, this is top of mind right now. And yeah. <laughs> it, it is the number one skill to have for those interviews. It's <laughs> crucially important. That's the, if you are live coding, you need to do exactly what you said before viewers can rewind to when we talked about this, connect your brain to your mouth and do everything Sean said. He said it better than you said it better than I did. Oh, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's solid advice you were giving. It's like, I couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Awesome. So you're a week into Spotify. I, it's just because a fascinating company. First of all, obviously a, a very, very high performing team, beautiful, they care about design a lot and user interfaces in general. And like, it's, a, it's an inspiration for many. One of the things which I have always been confused by is that like they're, the way they do Agile, did that ever come up? I have not noticed anything out of the ordinary, but I've only been there a week and I've just yeah. been doing onboarding stuff. Yeah. Okay. It, it's my impression is like, they, they have like, they have, they don't have like a traditional organization format and it's in, in the shape of squads with specific agile owners of, of particular projects. That was my impression. And it, it seems, it seemed relatively fluid. Like my, my personal journey was uh, when I was coming up through, through sort of web dev, I, we had a lot of meetups in New York city at the Spotify headquarters, and it was one of the coolest meetup venues in all of New York city. Have you been? Yeah. Jason Palmer gave me a tour of the old 18th street offices before they moved to world trade center. Oh, it was, they moved? It was beautiful. I didn't know they moved. Yeah, those offices are gone now. They're at uh, Ford WTC. Oh, okay. I hope it's as cool as, as it was uh, back there. because I've heard was... nothing but good things. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like like one of the things that kind of scared me off was the uncon unconventional way they organize themselves. I don't know if that's a legitimate concern or not anyway. but It's actually pretty similar to Riot. Uh, small teams that they call squads, like you said. Uh, there were lots of independent teams at Riot that fell under larger initiatives, uh, what you would call a tribe at uh, Spotify, we would call an initiative at Riot. Yeah, I don't know too much about Spotify, but it doesn't seem wildly different in organization yeah. to Riot. 
do you feel like do you feel like spotify is where you'll be i guess more in tune with like the the rest of the open source world compared to riot where you were tweeting a lot of like uh c++ <laughs> tweets yeah definitely to answer your question c++ was wild i don't think i'll be using it that much at spotify i'll keep up with it still it might come up again it was fun learning it but yeah the tech stacks are much more mainstream at spotify a lot of React stuff, some Next, unlike Riot, where you're on an ancient version of Ember that's not even using the Ember CLI. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But it's just, I guess it's just tech that, like, if it works, it works, right? Like, there's still companies that work on, like, Backbone and all that, and they're working fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, League of Legends is really, really old. It's making tons of money. And so they're not going to yeah, put that on hold for six months so nerds can rewrite it with a more fun tech stack. It, it's, it works. You better keep it working. And add features. And if you don't like Ember, then that's your problem. The job is to use Ember and make the lead client better. Yeah. Speaking of tech stacks, you actually went as far as putting uh, recent Svelte Convert on your bio. And I was just curious, like, what made you pick it up finally? So just the amount of energy around it, I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I had to dive <laughs> in and it is just so much fun. It's such a simpler reactivity model compared to React. It's just fun. It's just more fun to work with than React. Spotify uses React, of course. It's more, the more mature thing. It's been around forever, so that's fine. No complaints. But for all my private stuff, for my OSS stuff, it's it, I'm using Svelte if I have any choice in the matter. Yeah, I think that's how it starts. I think it's it starts as toys and then it, it finds a way into work because because at work you're once you find a project where it doesn't matter what the tech stack is, you'll be advocating for Svelte and and everyone someone will be like, oh yeah, sure, let's let's give it a shot and then. And then people spreads within the company. Yeah, yeah. I think that was that was my whole goal of of Svelte Society was essentially to be the hype beast around. <laughs> you were great. <laughs> I don't have any tech skills. I just have the hype. All the DevRel training Amazon gave you is just paying dividends. I don't know. It helps that it sells itself, right? So it's not. I don't. I can't take credit for it. But like, I think it's. I think it's a fun project. I have no idea. So I have this thesis around second frameworks. When you're not default, like React is default. So it gets a, a fair amount of like beginners who pick React just because it's popular, right? Like they, they don't have any uh, inkling of what came before or they didn't do objective evaluation of all the other frameworks and objectively decided this is the best for them. And, and it's a good choice because like, obviously there's the most jobs in React. But I think when you're the second framework, like no one comes to you as their first framework. So they're all a little bit more discerning and a little bit more knowledgeable about what they choose. and. And they don't hate you as like okay, when something's default and you just use it because it's default. They might have a lot of complaints, and I, I got a lot of that when I was running the the React subreddit, where like they were like I hate Redux or like hooks are bad, and all these inane questions which I was so bored by. Uh, you just don't have that in Svelte just because like people who come to you generally come through a, a journey of like prior frameworks, and that that makes for a nice community, I think. Yeah, I feel bad for all the hate Redux has gotten. That project, from everything I've heard, has just been reinvented. Like Mark. Erickson, I think that's yeah, yeah. Ace Mark is on Maybe Twitter. You should meet up. Yeah, you, you, uh, I've not met him in person, no. Yeah, yeah, he's done a tremendous amount of work just reinventing Redux. There's the Redux toolkit, which operates using a project called Immer, which was created by the guy that made MobX, the big rival to Redux. And it's just so much simpler to use from everything I've heard from back when I picked it up. I, I actually learned Redux with React. I picked up React and Redux at the same time, which is just the worst way to learn React. I had to unlearn some things thereafter. I didn't learn the React fundamentals at all. I just learned Redux and React at the same time, which is a terrible way to learn either. But yeah, 
back then you had to just create your own selectors and memoize them. And it was just a lot of well, stuff to get right. From everything I've heard, it's a lot simpler now. So I'm, I'm really happy creators. that project is doing so well. Yeah. What's that? Um, action creators as well. In, in action, action creators. Yeah, exactly. Constants just to have some more immutability. It was just a lot of like enterprise grade. And Take the Java back in JavaScript. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah. So I was there at the inception of uh, RTK, as they call it now. And yeah, it's definitely an improvement, but it's a library on top of React. Uh, sorry, it's a library on top of Redux. And uh, yeah, he's doing a great job, but it also gets a lot of hate. Like clearly the React core team doesn't like React, uh, Redux. So it's one of those weird uh, tensions in the industry. Well, I think that's because it, it seems to be so non-compatible with concurrent mode. I think with the concurrent mode that React team is working on, I think Redux is going to struggle there. And I don't think the React team is very positive on MobX either. And I think it's the same reason. I think the React team has their vision of what React is going to be, which is going to be heavily based on concurrent mode, which I guess is something that's going to help React team solve Facebook level, Facebook specific problems. And so the ecosystem is going to have to figure out a way to adapt to that. And it's not going to be easy. I think I've seen you be, be a bit cynical. Like, are you one of those people who are like, concurrent mode's not even going to ship in 2021? That, but I am extremely cynical about concurrent mode. I think there's going to be a lot of breakage in the ecosystem, which is really unfortunate. I think it will ship. They're working on it. I think they're just working on getting everything all done at the same time yeah. so they can make one grand big release that has their grand vision or whatever. Most recently, they've been working on server components. And then more recently, I've seen them talk about HTML streaming, which I guess is going to fit in with concurrent mode and suspense, I guess. I'm not sure. But yeah, your components are really going to have to be item potent and pure. No more writing to refs in render. And apparently you can't even read refs in render, I think, from what I've heard. And there's a reason for that. I know I was as surprised as you are. Just tweet that and someone will give you the link and you can learn about why, after all, it is a bad idea to read refs in render or something. I've just, yeah. I've just stopped caring. Like, let's just use a framework without all these rules. Uh, cool. Yeah. Well, how about, let's talk about books. Like you have, a, you have, a, how many books do you have? Tech books, I assume. I've got yeah. four bookshelves of normal person books. <laughs> I, I read normal person books more often than tech books. I just don't tweet about it because I assume people aren't interested in whatever history biography I'm reading. I've got about 10 or 12 or so C++ books over here from my riot time. I've got about 20 web dev books here and then some, a bunch of CSS. And then another 20 or 30 miscellaneous on AWS. And I like those pragmatic programmers, seven languages in seven days, seven databases in seven days. Those are a great way to just see a broad tour of what's out there. Yeah. I wish they would make new editions of those with some of the newer languages and newer databases. That'd be a fun read. The seven days, the seven languages, seven days book. I mean, yeah. And there's a bunch of like sister books to those. There's databases now, there's programming languages, there's concurrent models, seven concurrency models in seven days. Oh, okay. It's a whole series. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a whole series. And then they made seven more languages in seven days. They're, they're great books. I haven't read all of them. I haven't gotten to the seven more languages, but yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. For, for the record, it's seven weeks. So you're not learning a language in a day. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I just looked it up. I was like, wait, a day? And that's That'll a lot. be pretty intense. That's right. But no, it's just like your general, like you have a love for books. You, you clearly like collect the physical ones. I can't like, I have to, I really struggle to make time to read a book. I can, it's just, I really have to try. Um, just like what, tell me like your sort of book reading habits and, and philosophy in general. I love to read. I try to read every day. Usually I've got one or two normal books I'm reading and then a tech book. 
I just started the textbook that I'm on now. I just started the TypeScript handbook. They released that in PDF. So I've got it on my Kindle. I've been making my way through that. And maybe I'll start my day with it. I like to do some reading with my coffee in the morning before I get to work. That's it. not much in the way of habits there. I, it, I just love to do it. And it's the best way I learn. I like to just dive into a, a good book to really learn something like TypeScript or Go or C++ or whatever. Yeah. Like, like an, we're talking like one or two hours a day, consistently every day kind of type, type of deal. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I'm a sprinter. When I read a book, I'll, I'll just like spend uh, eight hours on it and then just. That's it. impressive. I usually need a break after an hour or two. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely take breaks, but it's just that like, I don't think I can retain context over multiple days when it's a book like that. And if it's good, I actually trying to make a game out of it. Like how much can I, how much of this can I get through? How much value can I get out of it? Because you're not going to remember all of it. But you can actually at least take some notes and get some like high level takeaways, tweet out the authors and, and I mean, just appreciate them for putting this amount of work. It's a huge task to put together a book. Do you ever want to write a book? My skill set is too boring. So I have deep JavaScript expertise, but that's been beaten to death. There's only a small number of people in the world who know enough C++ to write a book on C++ and they've done that in spades. Scott Myers is the, the big one. And then... Uh, Nicolo Josudis. C++ is big with Scandinavians, that, that part of the world. It was created by Bjorn Straustrup and then Nikolai, Danish. however you say his name. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't feel like I have a niche that I am a deep enough expert in to get a book done, but I see some of these success stories and I get really tempted. Um, <laughs> I, I just wish I had a topic. I mean, you can. It's, there, there are hundreds of books out there in JavaScript, but uh, none with your perspective and your experience. And it's, it's possible. I just think it's a fun exercise to write down everything you know about a topic and you just discover like it's a, it's a joy to like share stuff and someone will learn something from you. And that's a, that's a really nice experience. Cool. Well, I mean, that was, all, that was all the questions that we prepared. I was wondering if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about <laughs> that, come, that comes to mind. Nothing really. I'll say my latest sort of hobby is picking up X state. Uh, X state, excuse me, David K piano thing, the state machines. It's really cool. I recommend anyone who made it to the end of this thing, check it out. It's really neat. And I've got a blog post coming out on that. Hopefully on CSS CSS trip. Trip. Yeah. yeah, that's a good, you, you don't have to write a book. You can just be a, a continuing author on CSS tricks. And I think that's, they pay some, something decent, like 150 or 200 bucks for that. And it's read by everyone. I think it's, it's a great venue. Like one of my dreams is to make my own CSS tricks for, for topics that I'm interested in, because I think it's just like, we need more industry journals, basically. Like there's shitty random clickbait blog posts. There's occasionally good reflective blog posts. And then there's really technical books, but then like, I think in between like an industry journal where like, that's like peer reviewed and has some publication standards. I think that would that'd be really nice. Exactly. And that's what CSS tricks is. And then like we used to have medium, but man, the VC like Scorpion really stung that website. And now it's just this toxic barren wasteland that nobody wants to touch ever. And man, I, I imagine Chris Coyer was really happy when they just imploded because that's more traffic for CSS tricks. Like nobody is publishing anything over there anymore yeah. with how toxic that website just became overnight. Yeah. Well, I think Dev2 and Hashnode picked up the, the Slack for Medium. 
Although I still see a lot of developers blog on Medium, and I wish I could just move over. It's I've run out of free stories. I'm not gonna read your shit. That's my rant of the day. I'll hate on Medium anytime, any place. I want. I want. Okay, I wanted to end with this because I think that you're a passionate speaker, a, a, a speaker about the the non-coastal tech scene. And when I wrote my book, you actually gave me really good feedback on. I was, I was shitting on LinkedIn. I was like, LinkedIn doesn't work. It's all recruiter spam. And then you're like, no, out here in Oklahoma, that's where you get your first jobs. Like, how? Yeah, I, I mean, like, just, just, like, what's the what's the OKC? I guess outside of COVID, like, what's the what's the tech scene like for people who may not have lived in it before, or where you are? Yeah, I feel like there's two tech industries. Totally, like. When you leave, when you step outside of the Spotify's and the React or the Riots and the AWS's, so yeah, I, I used to work at a company called Chesapeake Energy. It was the number one natural gas producer in America. The interview was me and uh, like three dudes in a room, and they just grilled me with just random C sharp and database questions, and then they hired me. And that was that's the interview loop. Just an hour chat with a couple of the developers. And I got referred to that job by a recruiter who was just cold called me, and I wasn't happy at my current job. And I said, "Yeah, I'm interested." In it. And I found out it was Chesapeake, and then I wound up staying there seven years. It was a great place to work if you're in Oklahoma City. And yeah, everyone hates on recruiters, but if you're not on the coast and interviewing at places like Riot and AWS, recruiters are where you get your jobs from. If you're not a, a celebrity like Swix. Where you can just call up a company and tell them to hire you, and they say okay. No, they reach you, out to me. There you go, baby. All right. Yeah, for everyone else, like, and I was, I'm absolutely in that group. Like, recruiters got me a ton of jobs when I was young in my career. Well, how do they know? Like, let's literally talk about the first exact job. This is something I did not get. I, <clears throat> I should have pressed you on, which is like when you come out of a bootcamp or a CS degree, you're basically the same as everyone as like the other ten thousand who who like did this, the exact same thing. What are recruiters pitching you for? Like they, they're supposed to advocate on your behalf, but you've got you're sort of a generic pool of junior talent. I can tell you about my experience. So I did not go through boot camp. I I have a bachelor's degree in computer science. I was in the Air Force. I was an Air Force officer. When I got out of the Air Force, I remember I was at the airport and I had my resume and I didn't know how I was going to get a job. I wasn't worried, but I was like, okay, let's figure this out. I went to all those like job websites like monster.com and the similar ones. You can frown if you want. I uploaded my resume to that. I created an account. I uploaded my resume and then I got on an airplane and I flew out to Oklahoma where my wife was living and I was leaving Florida and I was moving to my new life in, in Oklahoma with my wife. Yeah. By the time I landed and over the next couple of days, my phone was just blown up with messages with recruiters with oh, jobs that they wanted to hook me up with interviews with. And the very first one I landed at was a small software company in Oklahoma City called American Bank Systems. And we were writing client desktop software with visualbasic.net. And it was a fun company. It was a fun first job. My interview was an hour with the dev team and they just slammed me with really dumb trivia questions like, what is a virtual method in C Sharp? And I answered that to write a regular expression to do this. And so I did that and then they hired me and it was fun. And that's what the tech job scene is like when you're out, when you're off the coasts, it's just random companies you never heard of. You'll get connected to them with recruiters. And by the way, that's how you apply. Like they don't want to hear from you directly. These companies, I remember I talked to my first boss um, about this and he said, yeah, we tried just sourcing these jobs directly and not going through recruiters. 
we put an ad out in the paper and we got just mountains of spam and just mm. resumes from like truck drivers just wanting to work here. And that's not any sort of dig on truck drivers, but just a wave of just unqualified resumes for that job. And it was just too much to handle. So they called up the recruiting firms, Tech Systems and Addison Group. These are companies where that's their job. They just connect qualified candidates to the jobs. And so if you are looking for your first job, you need to go make friends with those recruiters that all the Twitter celebrities like to make fun of. Not me. I, I still to this day appreciate what recruiters do. They are there to connect you with a job maybe. And there's a lot of false positives. They email a lot of people that aren't looking. And so just delete the email. You don't need to complain about it. There's for, there's a lot of people that want to get that email and want to get the opportunity to interview at these companies. And that's what recruiters are doing for these companies. Yeah, publicly shitting. I don't think I have ever shitted on a recruiter publicly. Uh, I, that's not my Chat. style. Huh? No, nothing. Oh, okay. Chat. Shitted, uh, chat. Yeah, it was a joke. Yeah, yeah and yeah, it's, a, it's a privilege. You're, you're like, okay, like you're lucky enough and now you're like showing how high status you are by like rejecting this in public. Like what about the other thousands who, are, <laughs> who wish they could be in your shoes? Exactly. Yeah. Well, so how did you break out? I'm sure you must have answered this before and I forgot, but like, so like, I think there's a local labor pool, right? Where it's like in-state or in, in, it, yeah, it's in-state. And then you like go up to like national leagues or no, or, and now in Spotify, you're like in the global leagues. I, I mean, right. It's also pretty global, but just there's different labor pools. How do you go from like, okay, I, I'm local talent to like uh global talent where, where and, and you, you just happen to live in Oklahoma city, but you could have been in any other. Yeah, the minor, I guess the minor leagues getting called up to the minors. If there's no going from college to minors, that was a startup I worked at um, before Riot. So I was on Stack Overflow. It was like an obsession and it was not a healthy obsession. I, I was working a very easy job at the time. And so I would start my day just maxing out my reputation points for Stack Overflow yeah, they by answering. Limit, right? <laughs> What's that? They have an upper limit on how many you can answer because there are people like you. <laughs> yeah, you can earn 200 points a day or at least back then. I don't know if it's changed. And then you can earn unlimited points by people accepting your answer. And so there's a strategy. Like once you've maxed out your 200, then you only want to answer questions from people you think will accept it to get that 15 points. So yeah, every day I would start my morning out just maxing out my rep. And then the day would reset at about 5 p.m. That's That was what midnight UTC was. And so right around that, I'd start answering a few more questions. And anyway... The startup, the CTO at that startup, he was recruiting off a of stack overflow. He would just go for like the top answerers for the week. And I was consistently like number one in JavaScript for weeks on end. And so he just, in, he emailed me out of nowhere. It's like, hey, you want to work at, at a JavaScript startup? I was like, holy shit, that sounds really cool. Yeah. And so that was it. And I wound up being there for a long time. I built a bit of a Twitter following over time, tweeting about JavaScript, about the work I was doing at that startup all the crazy webpack stuff I was dealing with back then. And then a riot engineer noticed me. We became friends. He, he tried to recruit me a few times. I was really happy at the startup. And then the startup came to an end and I was like, hey, I'm interested in applying at Riot. And I got to fly out to Santa Monica for my day of in, in on-campus interviews after all the pre-screens and the rest was history. Oh, that must have been fun. Santa Monica is great. I actually it's love amazing. it. I actually would, I definitely would think about moving there out of the list of cities that we talked about before this, this chat. And I'll just say like, the only reason I left Riot was because they were cutting back on remote work, which seems crazy in the middle of COVID. My boss was really, really, really happy with me. And I was happy there. 
but they just could not keep me on staff as a contractor any longer unless I became a full-time employee, which I was happy to, but I can't move to Santa Monica right now. My wife is in the Air Force. And so I landed on my feet. Spotify seems absolutely amazing. So I'm pretty happy. Anyone here in this, if you're in Southern California or you're willing to move there, uh, Riot is a really amazing place to work. That campus is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And people I, I, are great. I appreciate, appreciate that. You, you, yeah, you, you're not burning bridges. You're like shouting out. It, it was whatever their policy is. I'm sure they had good reasons, but locally it was a really stupid way to lose you, but whatever. To burn, like I have nothing yeah. but fond memories from Riot. The, my boss was great. The team was great. It, it's a really great place to work. I mean, I was using like Ember 2.12 and I still enjoyed working there. That's how great of a company Riot is that I'm using that gnarly of a tech stack and still had fun. They should put that endorsement on the careers page. <laughs> yes, you'll be using Ember, but you'll still love it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I, th- I think then that's all we that's all we had prepared. I uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time. And yeah, that's that's it. All right, I'm gonna pause recording. <laughs>